Did everybody have a good time at the picnic today? Yeah. If you're on the activities council, would you just stand up? Can we recognize them for all the work they put into this? Just give them a round. Yeah. So tonight, since this is the Thrive Worship Hour, uh, we're going to be continuing on in our Thrive Sermon Series, Bedtime Stories. And if you haven't been at Thrive, the purpose of this series is to go back and look at childhood stories like uh, Jonah and the whale, like um, Noah and his ark, Daniel and the lion's den, stories like that that we claim to know because we learned them as kids. But as adults, we never really looked back on and saw how they applied to our own life. Um, and tonight, since we're in the gym, it's a little bit different. It's a mixed crowd. Um, this story is not one that you might have read as a kid. It was like the hipster bedtime story. Uh, only the cool kids probably read this one. Uh, but it's the story of Hagar. Um, Hagar is a story of a woman who really, we, we kind of question why this story is even in the Bible. But we're going to look at her life tonight and see how it can apply to our own. Before we get started, though, would you pray with me? God, thank you for tonight. Uh, thank you for just giving us the chance to get together. And God, we know that. You're in this place, even though it's not a sanctuary, that it's still church because we're gathered together as your believers. And so, God, as we look at Scripture and we look at the story of, uh, um, that you've given us tonight, Lord, I just pray that you would reveal truth to us. Um, God, I just pray that you would teach us something. Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for this family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you guys have your phones or your Bibles and you want to read along, you can. If not, I'm just going to read um, from Genesis chapter 16, uh, the story of H Hagar. It says, Sarah, Abraham's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. She had an Egyptian maid named Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, God has not seen fit to let me have a child. Sleep with my maid. Maybe I can get a family from her. Abram agreed to do what Sarah said. So Sarah, Abram's wife, took her Egyptian maid, Hagar, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. Abram had been living 10 years in Canaan when this took place. He slept with Hagar, and she got pregnant. When Hagar learned she was pregnant, she looked down on her mistress. Sarah told Abram, it's all your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. I put my maid in bed with you. And the minute she knew she was pregnant, she treats me like I'm nothing. May God decide which one of us is right. You decide, said Abram. Your maid is your business. Sarah was abusive to Hagar to the point that Hagar ran away. An angel of God found her beside a spring in the desert. It was the spring on the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, maid of Sarah, what are you doing here? She said, I'm running away from Sarah, my mistress. And the angel of God said, go back to her. Put up with her abuse. He continued, because I'm going to give you a big family and children past counting. From this pregnancy, you'll get a son. Name him Ishmael. For God heard you and God answered you. He'll be a bucking bronco of a man, a real fighter, fighting and being fought, always stirring up trouble, always at odds. She answered God by name, praying to the God who spoke to her. You're the God who sees me. Yes, he saw me, and then I saw him. That's how that desert spring got named God Alive Sees Me Spring. That spring is still there between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave him a son, Ishmael. So this is all happening in chapter 16. Um, I, mean, I want to jump to chapter 21, and the in-between process is Sarah now is pregnant with her own son. And so this is what happens. The baby grew up and was weaned, and Abraham threw a big party on the day Isaac was weaned. One day, Sarah saw the son that Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham, poking fun at her son Isaac. And she told Abraham, get rid of this slave woman and her son. 
No child of this slave is going to share inheritance with my son Isaac. This matter gave great pain to Abraham. After all, Ishmael was his son. But God spoke to Abraham, don't feel bad about the boy and your maid. Do whatever Sarah tells you. Your descendants will come through Isaac. But regarding your maid's son, be assured that I'll also develop a great nation from him. Abraham got up early the next morning, got some food together and a canteen of water for Hagar, put them on her back and sent her on the way with her child. She wandered off into the desert of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she left the child under a shrub and went off 50 yards or so. She said, I can't watch my son die. And as she sat down, she broke out into tears. Meanwhile, God heard the boy crying. The angel of God called from heaven to Hagar. What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy and knows the fix he's in. Get up now. Go get the boy. Hold him tightly. I'm going to make of him great nations. Just then, God opened her eyes. She looked, and she saw a well of water. She went to it and filled her canteen and gave the boy a long, cool drink. God was on the boy's side as he grew up, and he lived out in the desert and became a skilled archer. He lived in the Paran wilderness, and his mother got him a wife from Egypt. So reading this story, um, Hagar's life was kind of a hot mess. She was bounced around here and there, kicked into the wilderness multiple times with her kid. And when we look at her story, uh, we have to question, like I said at the beginning, why it's even in the Bible. Because you have to understand, the book of Genesis, where this is written, is all about Abraham giving on his blessing to his son, Isaac, and then passing it on to Jacob. So this story is really just like a footnote, an unintentional, messy little thing, an obstacle, a stumbling block to the progress of the blessing of Abraham. And so it does nothing to help the narrative here. And so we have to ask, why is it in there? And even when we look at Hagar's life, she was an Egyptian slave girl, and so in that culture, she was completely unimportant. And as we read through the scripture, you probably noticed that they never even identified her by her name. Sarah and Abraham just called her slave girl. You see, Sarah and Abraham had recently been to Egypt, and uh, when they left, Pharaoh gave them gifts. He gave them sheep, oxen, camel, and slaves. See, she was nothing more than a piece of property changing hands. The only value that was found in Abraham and Sarah was that she could be a slave first and then a surrogate. See, Sarah had promised that she was going to have a kid, a baby. But Sarah got impatient. Do you guys know any impatient women? Be careful raising your hands, husbands. <laughs> but she got impatient and decided to take things into her own hands. And so she told her husband, be with my maid, sleep with my maid, so that she might give me the family that I desire. And some of you guys might think that's really weird, but actually in that culture, in Near Eastern laws, they had provisions for these things that actually made it legal. You see... Sarah didn't see this woman as a human being, but she saw her as a means to an end. See, Hagar rubbed it in, though. Once she got pregnant, she rubbed it in to Sarah that she could do something that Sarah could not. I feel like everybody kind of does this at times. Do you guys have those people in your life that you guys are kind of enemies, you don't really like them, they're really arrogant, and when you can do something better than them, it just gives you satisfaction? You know, it just gives you this sense of joy? Okay, I'm the only person in here that feels like that doubt it. But she rubbed it in a little bit. And so because of that, Sarah says, I've had enough. Kick her out. Send her away into the wilderness. And so that's exactly what happens. And, and when we look at this, we'd think that that's where the story ends for Hagar, because she's so irrelevant. She's just a maidservant. But instead, the narrative continues, not with the protagonist, not with the main characters of Abraham and Sarah, but it follows Hagar into the wilderness. And when she gets there, it says that she was greeted by an angel of the Lord. 
Now we have to understand why that's such a big deal. She was greeted by an angel of the Lord. She was young, she was single, and she was female. And so in that day, in that time, that basically meant that she had zero value. She had nothing to offer, surely to man, but also to the Lord. But he had other plans. And when we think about an angel coming to a young, single female, do we think about anybody else? Like the angel that came to a young, single female, Mary, and said, you'll give birth to a son and you shall name him Jesus. See, this angel came to her and said, you shall give birth to a son and name him Ishmael, and he shall be the father of many. And it says in the story that she calls out to God and calls him by name. And so we have to realize there's a lot of big things that are happening here that are kind of hidden. See, this nobody, this person who is invisible in the culture, had several firsts here. First off, she was the first woman in the Bible visited by a divine messenger. She was the first woman to be given promise of descendants in the scripture. She was the first woman to see and have a conversation with God. Pretty big deal. And she was the only person in all of scripture who gives God a name. The name that she gave God was El Roy, which translates the God who sees me. The God who sees me. So this nothing, this invisible person was finally seen. This person who couldn't even be identified by her name, by her masters, was called out by her name by an angel of the Lord. And so what happens is, as she obeys, like scripture says, and she goes back with Ishmael. But at this time, when she gets back, Abram and Sarah already have a baby. They have their own. And so there's some tension going on. And you can imagine this house. You have one wife who hates the other wife. Abraham married to both. And two half-brothers both vying for that firstborn right. It's like an episode of Jerry Springer. And Hagar and Ishmael, they kind of get the short end of the stick because they're the less than. And so Sarah says, I'm not doing this anymore. Again, kick them out. I don't want them around. And that broke Abraham's heart because Ishmael was his son. He loved him to death. And so he, he gave them food and drink to take with them. And again, they were back in the wilderness. But this time, Hagar was not alone. She was with her teenage son. And so their well-being was tied together. And it says that when they ran out of water, it broke her heart because she knew that her son was going to die and she couldn't bear it. So she walked away and wept. But it's really important for us to look at the way that scripture words this. It says, meanwhile, meanwhile, during her weeping, God heard the boy's cries. See, so often in our life during these seasons of trial and tribulation, when we feel like we're nothing, we feel like nobody's there for us, we have nothing else to hold on to. Those are the seasons in our life where God is working the most in the meanwhile. Meanwhile, God heard the boy's cry and said, what are you worried about, Hagar? What are you worried about? Go and hold your son. And so we learn here that the God who sees is also the God who hears. The God who sees is also the God who hears. I remember one Tuesday night, I was helping out with uh, mops, and just hanging out with some of the moms afterwards, and it was absolutely insane. Uh, it was completely noisy, it was chaotic, you know how that goes. And uh, I was having this conversation, and all of a sudden, we heard this blood-curdling scream from upstairs. And the mom that I was talking to kind of tilted her head and listened for a couple seconds and said, all right, we're good, it's not mine. And uh, <laughs> I was thinking about that in reference to this story, because it's amazing to me how parents, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of noise, can identify the voice of their children. 
Same is true for us, guys. We have hope in that fact that in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our noise, in the midst of our daily life and struggle and the voices that tell us that we're unworthy and unholy and good, we have a God that hears our voice and hears our cries. When we're alone at night and we're crying tears, those tears don't fall to the ground without being heard. And I don't know about you, but that's really encouraging to me because it's a promise that we will never, ever be alone. See, this story doesn't stop, though, there. It says that God opened the eyes of Hagar. God opened the eyes of Hagar so that she would see the well to give water to her son. And so this is a proof in this story that the God of Abraham and Sarah is also the same God of Hagar and Ishmael. The God of the important, the entitled, the upper class, the valuable, is the same God of the poor, the impoverished, and the invisible. And some of us, I think, in this room don't realize that this story, while it's told in the Bible, is also very culturally relevant. We have a lot of modern-day invisibles. It's the waiters and the waitresses and the factory workers and the custodians that we see every single day, but we just walk right past. Sometimes even for parents, kids can become those invisible children if we allow it. So many moments where we forget to invest or speak truth or love. And then we really see it in the church as a whole, not just this church in Burlington. We see churches marginalizing entire groups of people because they don't sin like you sin. They might not look like you. They might be dorky or ugly or fat or weird or broken, so you just stay away from them. And we just hang out in our church in our little bubbles. But the reality is, if sin was marked with black ink, we'd all be covered with the same ink. We'd all be covered with the same ink. And so this is a story that says that God cares about those invisible people. God cared about Hagar and Ishmael. And the question that I have for us tonight is, are we willing to care for those people as well? See, in the story, God opened the eyes of Hagar to the well. And we have to act in faith tonight as a church that God will do the same thing with people in our life. That those people that we come in contact with who are oppressed and marginalized, the less than, the ones that feel invisible, that God will open their eyes to living water and to a well where they will thirst no more. You see, and in Scripture, it calls us something. It calls us empty clay vessels. Empty clay vessels. When I look around this gym, I see a whole lot of water bottles. A whole lot of people who have been in this church, and we've been in a series on Sunday morning called I Love My Church. One of the reasons I love my church is because it's filled with people who allow themselves to be filled so that they can pour themselves out on people. So that's my challenge for you tonight. As a church, when you leave this place, to seek out people that are thirsty. And when you see those people to say, you know what, you might look a little different than me. People maybe have never given you the time of day, but I know my sin is the same as yours. Let me tell you about how I have something that can quench the thirst that you're seeking after because I've drank from the well. I've been there and my life is different now. Not because I'm better, not because I'm good, but because I know Jesus. Because I know Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for tonight. And Lord, just thank you for giving us an opportunity to look at the story of Hagar and look at a person who was dismissed in her culture, who was not valued at all, who was nothing more than property. God, I believe that there are probably people in this room tonight who have felt similar feelings that Hagar might have felt. They've gone through their life feeling invisible, feeling like nobody sees them and that their life does not matter. But God, would you open their eyes? Would you allow them to see the same thing that you gave to Hagar? 
that their life is valuable and important and that you are El Roy, the God who sees us. You're the God that hears us when we cry out to you in our brokenness and in our pain and in our suffering and even in our sin. God, if there's a person in the room who felt completely castigated or marginalized or like they didn't have a place at the table, God, would you remind them they're loved and created for a purpose? God, thank you for a church and a place filled with people who are ready to be filled up with your truth and love. That we're nothing more than empty vessels and when we leave this place, may we quench thirst. May we be reckless in the way that we talk about your love. And when we see people, will we not see them for their struggle or their differences or their circumstance, but rather may we just see them in the light that you see all of us, broken sinners in need of a savior. That's it. There's no them in us, just us. God, would you allow us to be a church where grace always abounds? Lord, thank you for this place and just an opportunity to fellowship together. And as we leave this place tonight, may we remember that you hear us, you see us, and you've prepared us to go pour out your love. May we live our life on mission to do that very thing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.